step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. All right, so uh, let's get going. Um, tonight's message is going to be called, Be Sober, Be Vigilant. Be Sober be vigilant. Now, the Lord gave me this particular study because over these last few weeks, you know, I've been spending quite a bit of time with him and um, he's been really telling me my need to seek him more, even more than I teach, even than more than we go out and minister to people and talk to people. What God wants for me and what he's been telling me during these few weeks is to really draw close to him in that place of, I can do nothing except what he does. Now, a lot of people will say, I know about this, you know, like, yeah, of course. You mean to say you don't know that by now? It's one thing to preach that in this word, and it's another thing to walk it out and to actually live it. And during this experience with the Lord, he's really been showing me how disobedient I truly am. And this all comes with growth. It all comes with the sense of awareness. But part of the reason why the Lord is telling me that, you know, I couldn't see it before is because I wasn't sober. Now, some people may say, does that mean you were drinking and you were doing anything like that? It's got absolutely nothing to do with that. But to be sober in mind really means, and what he's showing me is to wait on the Lord. When you wait on God, when you focus on God, When you mind the things that are of the spirit and the things that God wants for you, that is what you call sober. I'll give you guys an example of this. How many times have you ever been just coursing through your day, you know, feeling good with Christ and doing everything that, you know, just glad to be a child of God? You know, you might have shared the gospel that day. You may have talked to people. But, you know, a funny example of it is let's just say you hear a story about hell. Or you might just happen to go on YouTube and flash on one of those videos where it actually says, you know, Christians who wound up in hell, not because they were Christians, but because of the feeling of being, you know, drunken, believing they were Christians and not following Christ. You see, messages like that quickly bring us back to the place of what's most important. Is it to serve Christ or is it to serve the world? So when you hear messages like that, and they kind of get us in that place of thinking, man, what should I say? What should I do? Am I right with the Lord? That is what you call sober. The Bible tells us to examine ourselves, see if we be in the faith. It's important that we stay with the Lord. And tonight, what we're going to be talking about is, are those things of why we need to stay sober? We don't even have to take it that serious. Let's just bring it to the point of God wants you to talk to someone. God wants you to minister to someone. But because you're into yourself and you're doing the things that you want, you walk right by them. Or you happen to drive on your way, you go to work or go anywhere, and then you're sitting there thinking, you know something? I think the Lord might have wanted me 
to speak to that particular individual. But you see, those things happen when we're not sober. Those things happen when we take, uh, you know, we give uh, preeminence to the things that um, are of this world and not concerning Christ. So tonight's message is going to be about being sober and being vigilant. And we're going to get the biblical definition for both so that we have an understanding of what the Bible says, because words change all the time, you know, from the original King James English. And then you take it into, you know, today's language, you'll find a lot of meanings of words have changed. So it's important to understand what, why Jesus told his disciples when they were focused on the beautiful trappings of the temple. And he says, you see all these things? Not one stone will be left upon another to all be fulfilled. What was he doing? He was sobering them up. You know, he told them the son of man must go and suffer many things for the sake of, you know, humanity, of the people. And they couldn't understand why. What was he doing? He was sobering them up. When he walked on water and he was telling them that, you know, he had Peter out there walking with him and they thought it was a spirit. And he calmed them and showed them that if they believed in him, they can do all things. What was he doing? He was sobering them up. And we've got to get to the place of reality. I heard a sister, you know, talking about this once. She mentioned, um, you know, the, the woman that I listen to sometimes on Extreme Reality Chat. She brought up a point that I had never thought about. She says there's no such thing as supernatural. You know, and, and some people would say, well, of course there is, you know, it's spiritual. But you see, people make it out to be a lot more than it actually is. What is supernatural? It's man's definition of the ignorance of what is natural. It's natural to be spiritual as a person, as a person of God, as a believer or someone that has an awareness of the spiritual realm. That's not supernatural. It's supernatural because fallen man wanted to define it. But it's natural to be in your spirit with God. It's natural to follow Christ. It's natural to place him in your heart above all things. But what the devil has done to us through his education and his vain philosophy and deceit was to tell you and I, oh, this is super. This is extra. This is a higher level, you know, the unexplained or the paranormal. There's no such thing as paranormal. It's normal. It's normal to have a spiritual realm and a physical realm. But, you know, that's just an example of what it is to be sober, what it is to get a real grip on reality. Some people will say your perception is your reality. I disagree. That may be what you think, but reality goes so much deeper. And I don't think you can have a better understanding of what reality is until you understand Jesus Christ. Why wasn't he moved when his cousin John was beheaded? Why wasn't he moved when he showed compassion and he healed the sick and he moved on? Why was it so easy for him to tell people, okay, the things that he told them, even though he knew that he would probably hurt some feelings? Because you know what? Jesus was the epitome of that which is normal. You and I have been in the world drunken with a lot of the affairs and the cares of this life that we think it's rude today to tell someone the truth. You see how the devil tries to, the devil tries to uh, keep you from being sober? You see how he tries to tell you, no, don't, don't offend. 
you know, be nice to people. No, don't, don't tell the truth. I mean, we just want you to, you know, just love everybody. You know what's in that cup of the devil's love? It's that wine that makes you drunk and keeps you from the reality of truth and fantasy. Some people will say, you've got your truth and I've got my truth. That's a lie. There is the truth and there are lies. Everything is black and white, but what has philosophy told you in the world? It's all in a sort of gray, not true. There is righteousness and unrighteousness. There is light and darkness. There is good and there is evil. There is God and there is the devil. There is one way to God. The devil believes there are many ways to God. Of course, he's speaking of himself. These are things that we need to sober up with, that we have a real understanding of what God wants, what his purpose is for you and your life, and getting to know him on the most intimate of levels. This is something that happened to me, you know, and I can tell you guys this experience because, you know, I began to question, Lord, am I even right to preach your gospel? Am I even in that place where you want me to be? And the Lord told me, you know something, not right now. Spend time with me, get into me. I don't want you teaching right now. And I don't think it's because I wasn't ready. Only the Lord will tell me that. But what he did tell me is, I need you to focus on me right now. It was almost like I asked the right question that he says, now you see what I'm saying, draw closer to me. Because there began to be an emptiness in me. There was this feeling of teaching and talking to others and people may say, brother, good sermon, but why wasn't I feeling it in my heart? Because even though we may know this stuff, we've still got to get to the place of being in Christ, Christ in you, doing the things that Jesus says. And no one, don't let anyone tell you where you are in your walk. You know it from the time that you spent with Christ. Don't let people tell you, oh, it's just the devil. If you don't feel right in your place with the Lord, then seek God for all answers. What happened to me one night for these last few weeks, you know, I've been, Lord, if you don't want me to teach, I won't. Show me your heart. Show me the things that you want me to see. Well, one night, I think it was this past Friday night, I was laying in bed and the Lord said a word to me. I wasn't sure it was him at first. And he said, Kumi. And I'm thinking, Kumi is like Cammy, your sister with a U, you know? So I was looking for that and he just kept saying it in my sleep. Kumi, Kumi, Kumi. So much so, I'm like, I can't even sleep. Like I wanna, you know, get up, but I don't know why that word kept playing in my heart. Kumi, Kumi. So I went and woke up and you know when God gives you something because you don't forget the word. I probably dreamt many other things at that time, but he told me, you know, to look up the word. So I looked up the spelling, K-U-M-I, and I got the Japanese meaning for it, and it meant 10. So I'm like, well, that doesn't help me out, you know, much good. What is 10? Like, what's that supposed to be? So the spirit told me, look it up in the Hebrew. So I looked up the word in the Hebrew. It was spelled completely different. It was C-O-U-M-I. And the Lord directed me to this scripture. Let me just show you this real quick. Let's go to Mark chapter five and let's look at verse 41. But man, he would not let me sleep this night.
Matthew 5 and verse 41. Matthew and Mark. Oh, Mark, sorry. Mark 5, and let's look at verse 40. Now, remember, this is when Jesus came to um, look out for the, um, he came to heal a few people. So let's back it up to uh, verse 36. Okay, so this is um, verse 36, and this is Mark 5. He says, as soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he saith unto the ruler of the synagogue, be not afraid, only believe. And he suffered no man to follow him, save Peter and James and John, the brother of James. And he cometh to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and seeth uh, the tumult uh, and them that wept and wailed greatly. And when he was come by, he said unto them, why make ye uh, this ado and weep? The damsel is not dead, but sleepeth. And they laughed with, I mean, they laughed him to scorn. But when he had put them all out, he taketh the father and the mother of the damsel and them uh, that were with him and entereth in where the damsel was lying. And he took the damsel by the hand and said unto her, Talitha, which means like girl, or, you know, like young girl. And he says, Kumi, which is being interpreted, damsel, I, damsel, I say unto you, the arise. So the Lord was telling me to arise. Now, some people could say, how come he didn't tell you to arise in prayer? How do you know it's not that? He also confirmed through his word while I was looking and while he was speaking to me. You asked me last night, how much longer would I have to stay down? And what he told me that night in my sleep was, arise. It's time to go. The Every time that Jesus did tell someone to arise, one, he was either bringing them from the dead or he was telling them, arise, let us go hence. Remember when he was down praying in the Garden of Gethsemane and he led them unto their purpose. So when he told me that and he confirmed it, I'm like, why would the Lord speak to me in Aramaic? Because this, this one thing is, it's not Hebrew, it's Aramaic. Why would he speak to me in that, in that English? Because, you know, God wants us to search him out in his deep ways, knowing and understanding him through his word, through his spirit, okay, and through time spent with him. So, you know, that was one thing that brought me back because I was willing to take, I don't know how long it was going to be, I was going to wait on him. But what he commanded me to do was to arise and come. And I believe this whole journey was about sobering me up, okay? So uh, this isn't about me. This is about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So let's go into prayer and we'll get right into this lesson. <sighs> Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, we thank you, Lord, for another day, another day not promised to us. And we ask you, Lord, that you forgive us of our sins and our iniquities and our shortcomings and transgressions and those things that place a veil between you and us. Lord, we ask you at this time, we invite the Holy Spirit that you may come, that you can forgive us of all the things that have been with us, Lord, and you can be that bright and shining light in the midst of us. Lord, for those that are sick among us, I pray in Jesus' name that you lay your hands on them that you sober them up, Lord, that you keep them from the place of distraction, that we may focus on you and desire the things that you want for your people. So I pray in Jesus' name, Lord, let no man's heart be heard tonight. Let no flesh be glorified. 
but speak from our hearts, Lord, that we may have an understanding of what you desire, that times we are in, why it's so important, Lord, that we follow you and do what you say, Lord, because we truly are at war. So I pray in Jesus' name that you bind every foul spirit, every demonic spirit, every spirit of error, contention, or confusion, every spirit of jealousy, malice, and hatred, spirits of fear, doubt, and unbelief, and distraction in the name of Jesus. I command that they go, that they have no jurisdiction here, that your people's ears, eyes, and hearts will be open to your truth, and that those things might be used, Lord, to bring us in the way of everlasting, that we may walk with you in a new and living way. For you are the King of kings, you are the Lord of lords, you are faithful, just, and true, and worthy of all praises. I pray and I ask, Lord, that all these things be done for your glory and honor. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, let's get right in. Let's go to uh, 1 Peter chapter 5, and we're going to begin at verse 1. 1 Peter 5 and 1. Thank you, Jesus. All right. This is First Peter 5. Let's look at verse 1. He says, The elders which are among you, I exhort, who am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. So you see, what was mostly real for the apostles is not only were they called to preach the gospel and to build churches, and they were governors for the Lord that he used them, but they were also witnesses of the suffering of Jesus Christ. So as you can see, their experience was different than, you know, a lot of other people because of the fact that they walked with him when times were good and when times were bad. So this thing was never really a joke to them because they got to see all that went on. Look at verse two, feed the flock of God, which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not by filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. So there are a lot of people that want to come in to ministry. They want to be in it, what they say is for Christ, but really what they're thinking about is popularity. They're thinking about filthy lucre, like, you know, having money or luxury or by any means, you know, they want to be sustained. But you see, I agree with the great Leonard Ravenhill. You know, I don't want to call him great, but he was a great prophet of the Lord that the Lord used. But what he said was that preaching is a passion. It's not a profession. You know, when you're called to ministry, you understand that. And this is something I didn't understand. In the beginning, when the Lord called me to ministry, I was thinking, you know, with that type of mindset, Lord, I get to preach for you. But there was a part of me that still wanted to be seen. There was a part of me that still felt like, all right, I could preach to people, get them the gospel, and I could be seen right in God's eyes. Well, you know, that type of behavior stinks in God's nostrils because God wants it to be about him. What I did learn in ministry is you better be patient. You better be, 
you know, <laughs> thinking of the things that God wants, it is not an easy thing at all. And, you know, ministry really gives you an understanding of the heart of Jesus Christ. There are so many times I've been frustrated and said, you know something, I don't even, you know, I don't even want to deal with this person. And the Lord is like, why not? Look at all the headaches and things that you bring me. Look at how you don't listen. When I'm calling you to do a thing, you won't listen. So the Lord wants you to sit in a hot seat. Why? Because ministers don't just help the flock grow. Ministers themselves grow. And that's important that we have an understanding of this because these are the things that keep you sober. One thing the Lord has even shown me through ministry that sobered me up was, you know, everybody knows what it is to have a nagging parent. Everybody knows what it is to have a parent to tell you what's best for you and you don't want to hear it. But it really grieves the parent because they've been where you are. They see where you're going. They know the way. But for whatever reason, you just won't listen to it. You know why? Because children are not sober. Children live their lives doing what they want. And it takes, you know, our Lord Jesus Christ to tell us, stop. Don't do this. Do what I'm telling you to do. And that's going to infringe on your fun and your happiness and the things that you want, the pleasures. When the Lord tells you, man, give up fornication. And you go, what? You know, like you mean to say there's something wrong with that? Absolutely. But you see, it takes the love of God to step in the way to tell you this is wrong and this needs to be set right. What does he do with that? He sobers us up, but we've got to be receptive to the things that God gives you because a lot of people are in this thing for filthy lucre. Some people are in it for friends. Some people are in it, you know, because somebody pushed them into it. You can't get in this thing for any other reason than to feed the flock of Christ and to be one with Christ. That's a sober message that a lot of people don't understand. A lot of people have left the banks and wherever they were working to become a pastor because they realize if they do wrong, pastors make more money than you know bankers and probably most stockbrokers. Why? Because they're pushing the tides and people are raking it in. I'm not talking about a salary. I'm speaking of people that have become in ministry for filthy lucre's sake. These people think they have found a profession and all they've got to do is speak of Christ. But these, when the Bible says that fear will overcome the hypocrite, it's because the hypocrite's been playing around. Why do I say the things that I say sometimes, even though I know it's going to upset people? Because of the fact that if I'm really of Christ, then I care about who makes it and who doesn't. I care about your soul. I care about that if this thing were to all end tomorrow, what's going to happen? Will you be prepared for what's coming? Or are you going to try and get the bare minimum just to stay afloat? Those who do the bare minimum to stay afloat will drown in this thing. You've got to have Christ on the inside of you to do the things of Christ. Every day, we're gonna see what this looks like. We're gonna see what God is calling us for. This is a, a beautiful moment of grace that we get to spend time with God and be changed by him. But what when the Bible tells us not to frustrate the grace of God, not to grieve the spirit of God, quench not the Holy Ghost, is because God knows that the job that the Holy Ghost is doing cannot be done of men. When he leads us in the ways of righteousness, we need to go. When Abraham sent 
uh, the nameless servant to go get a bride for Isaac. Abraham was a type of God the Father. That nameless servant was a type of Holy Ghost. And Rebekah was a type of the bride. What did he do to the bride when he came to her? He gave her gifts. You remember, he covered her in jewels. He put rings on her finger. Why? Because she was the bride that came for, I mean, that was supposed to be for Isaac, who was a type of Christ. So we must understand that God wants to dress us in the best. God wants to give us everything that we're going to need. What bride do you know is not adorned with gifts? The gifts signify the bride of Christ. So what do we need to do? Draw closer to Jesus, that these fruit will manifest and bear fruit that will give way to the gifts. You know, the laying on of hands, the discerning of spirit, the things that you need to be the bride and stay the bride, that you can follow what Jesus Christ says. So never go after the bare minimum because you're a bride fit for a king. God means to use you. God is coming back for a church without spot or blemish. And so many people are just looking to, well, you know, I don't want to. Listen, let God work with you, fill you, and use you. You are a bride of the Most High God. And don't see yourself as anything less than that. And I'm not pushing wine to make you drunk. I'm telling you your worth in Christ. That's why. That's the inheritance. That's the potential. Church people, they come and they go, but the bride of Christ will be called, chosen, and faithful. So keep that in mind. This is a sobering message. You want to be what Jesus wants you to be. No one can tell you what your calling is. He will let his bride know what he wants for them. But be sober. So he says, look at what he says, not for filthy Lucas' sake, but of a ready mind. So anybody that's in this thing to play around, they better think again. This is not a joking situation. Look at verse three. Oof. Neither be neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being examples to the flock. So there are a lot of people that want to be lords over God's heritage. Not only do they want to tell you what to do, they want to tell you when to do it. They don't want you to come to Christ they want you to come to themselves, you know? And this is really about a personal relationship with Jesus. This is what ministers do. They are servants unto the Lord to feed the flock of Christ, to give them Christ. Look at verse four. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. So imagine at the coming of Christ, he wants to give you a crown of glory. I believe that these things are not given away quite easily. These are given away to those who are overcomers, those who have given their lives to Christ, those who have fought a good fight, who have finished their course, who have kept the faith, okay? You don't give away stuff in heaven just like that. Everything's got a price, but what God is gonna do is give this to his bride. I don't wanna miss out on that. Look at verse five. He says, likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility for God, resisteth the proud and giveth grace unto the humble. So this is another thing that people are drunken in. 
pride. I don't want anybody to tell me. No one tells me anything but God. But did you not know that we are our brother's keeper? When, when Cain asked that question to the Lord, am I my brother's keeper? The true answer was, yes, you are. Because Cain was supposed to love Abel as he loved himself. Okay, but a lot of us today are in this place of me, my, and I. And when you have that, when you are focused on self, you can't give Jesus the things that Jesus wants. Jesus is a selfless Lord and Savior. Jesus never thought of himself. Jesus's thoughts was to please the Father and to take care of the people. He was a sacrifice that was given over for the whole world, not just the ones to come, but those who even preceded and believed. So that's just so important that we get an understanding of this. Selflessness is soberness. Drunkenness is, I only care about myself. I'll take a million selfies. I'll worry about what I'm gonna do today. That's drunkenness. Because when someone sobers you up, well, that boyfriend or girlfriend leaves you, you realize you weren't as important as you thought. Then you can get out of yourself. So what does the Lord want us to do? Be sober. Look at verse six, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. Humility is a beautiful thing when it's looked at from the eyes of Christ. But you know who doesn't like to be humble? The drunken worldly man. Adam does not like to be humble. Adam ate that fruit because Adam wanted to be a God himself. There's only one God in heaven, okay? And he has a son that died for us. And there is one spirit that he gives to all of those who will be the children of God. And it is to them that are humble, okay, before the Lord that he may lift them up. We have got to get out of ourselves. Another thing, one second, another thing that being in ministry does give you is humility. There are times you get up here and you think you know something and you find out you're wrong. And then somebody that you might've led to the Lord will go right to the Bible and show you where you're wrong. But in all humility, praise the Lord. They know this, they corrected me. We can be in good standing with Christ. But when you're drunk on yourself, how dare you say what you said to me while I'm speaking? You're just a babe. No, perhaps you're still a babe if you can't receive correction. Yes, Sarah. Also on that, um, you know, men wanting to be gods is that you know, social media has really amped that up as far as that goes. Mm -hmm. It's just like people want to take so many selfies and put them on Facebook. You've mm -hmm. got six million friends. You think that nobody likes you. I mean, it just really pucks up that the ego of, you know, Worship. Mm -hmm. It really does. And mm -hmm. it's just like it's done such a number on people. These things have done such a number on people. It's just like you can't leave yourself on at home because you feel like, mm -hmm. man, I am naked without this sort of mm -hmm. what if somebody gives me a text message? Mm -hmm. What do we do before cell phones? You know, it's just like it's taken so much patience away from us to have these things right here. And it's you know, we we focus more on cell phones than we do on internet. It makes you drunk. Yeah. You know, you become drunk on self and entertainment. I got a teaching coming up that the great Leonard Ravenhill said. I love Leonard Ravenhill. I'm not, you know, glorifying a man, but I love the work that the Lord did through Leonard Ravenhill. 
But Leonard Ravenhill said that entertainment is Satan's substitute for joy. And that is so true. If we knew what it is to walk in the joy of the will of Christ, we wouldn't be leaning on entertainment. What keeps people flocking to entertainment is because they don't have the joy of Christ. And that's what really keeps you from that, you know? So anyway, let's go to uh, verse seven, I believe. He says, casting all your care upon him, but he careth for you. So we don't have to deal with the things that we deal with. We deal with them in many cases because we want to, because we think we're big and strong enough to handle it. But God wants you to cast all your cares on him because he cares for you. Guess what? You can't carry that load. Only Christ can. That's what my whole break was all about. Look at verse seven. He says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walking up, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. So the Lord is making it very clear to us that the devil is walking around. The Lord wants us to be sober. But you see, there are some people too that have drunk in religion that will say, I don't care that the devil is around, God's got me. Okay, so then why did Jesus have to obey his father and the spirit every day of his life? Surely he was the son of God, surely he couldn't have been killed, but he still knew that if I were to do one thing contrary to what the spirit of God says, then now I'm in sin. So then I can be separated. So you see, Jesus knew to follow the father and obey the spirit of God that he wouldn't be in the jaws of the devil. What keeps us all just, you know, coasting on and living our lives and doing what we want? Because we don't see the adversary, which is the devil, as a roaring lion that walks about looking to try and hurt you and I. And his attacks are so subtle, man. The Lord showed me so many on this break, how he just uses people, how he pulls you out of the spirit, how he even makes you believe that doing what we're doing right now, you know, like I'm sitting here ministering or preparing to do a lesson, you know, that could be pulling me away from the prayer closet, the things that God is calling me to do. So you see, there's always a soberness that should take place. There may be weeks the Lord is even telling me, I don't even want you to teach this week, give it to someone else. You and I have got something to do. But you see, following basic instructions of the good shepherd is what we need to do. Because the Bible says here that, you know, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, which is the devil, as a roaring lion walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. This guy has so much time on his hands. All he wants to do is see you and I go to hell. That's what his prime time job is. This is what he does 24 seven. He's out, well, he's in time, but he's a spiritual being. You know what that means? He doesn't sleep. He doesn't take time to himself. His primary focus is to destroy the people of God and bring as many people to hell with him as he possibly can by any means necessary. You see how sober in the message that is? Let's look up the word sober and let's look up the word vigilant. If anyone wants to add anything, they can. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'll, I'll play that in a few minutes. Thank you for reminding me. But, you know, 
I look at the early church teachers and people that the Lord has used, and I ask myself, why did they preach with such a passion that you don't hear today? And I think it's because the devil has allowed his wine in the church to make the people drunk, to think that they don't need to do certain things for Christ, you know? That's something to think about. So this is Be Sober. This is G3525. That word means to be sober, to be calm and collected in spirit, to be temperate, dispassionate, circumspect. Now, some people say, man, no passion. No, he's talking about being alert. So this also means you can't allow your feelings to govern you. You've got to do what God tells you to do. There were many people, I'm sure some people felt, well, why don't Jesus go and, you know, give this man a chance to go home and tell his family he's leaving. And come on, Jesus, it was just an hour or so, and then we can get going on the journey. Jesus's focus was on the Father's will, okay? He even said, him that looks back, having his hand to the plow, is not fit for the kingdom of God. So we understand that to be sober means to be calm, collected in spirit. You know what that means? Not driven by your emotions. Temperate, dispassionate, doesn't mean don't have compassion, but you know, to be real with yourself, you know, to live in that. And then it says circumspect, which means to, you know, live life looking around, you know, paying attention to things that were going on. There was one time, uh, to give you an example of this, we went to um, Washougal, I think, with, with Sam and Deborah. And, you know, there was some up and coming minister that wanted to, you know, preach to the people and everything. I think Carlin was there too that day. And while we were there, you know, this guy had a beautiful vision. He put on a video and he was just talking about, man, one vision, one vision for everybody, bring everybody together. And, you know, we're gonna turn America around. That's all we kept hearing, turn America around. Well, Sarah and I, and Carlin were actually facing where the guy was. And all he was doing was giving Illuminati symbol after Illuminati symbol, witchcraft symbols, putting spells on the crowd. So Carlin, Sarah, and I, we were just basically in our own prayer. You know, like, you know, Lord, we see what's going on and what this individual is doing. But there was hardly any talk of Jesus. It was about saving America. It had nothing to do with saving souls, whether it becomes Russia or anything else. But you see, the Holy Ghost alerted us to this in time to see what was going on. And I think that individual knew that Chris Overstreet guy, he was just sitting there looking and he kept paying attention to us. It's almost like he knew we weren't buying his story. You know, that we can tell, dude, I know what you're doing, you know, and what you're trying to do. And then you got some Illuminati symbol on his card that he was giving out. And they messaged me a few times and the Lord said, leave them alone, don't even respond, you know, just move on. But that's just an example of why people were sitting around having a good time that the devil was casting spells on the people of God. And I thank God for the discernment that he was able to show us what was going on. Because, you know, look how many people were drunk that day. They were just sitting there and, oh man, can you play the video again? I enjoy the vision. And I'm like, man, this guy's not even talking about Jesus. 
you know, but it's just one of those things that you can't get driven away in your emotions. You've got to see things for what they are. Am I saying don't have joy? Am I saying don't show love? Am I saying don't, you know, uh, give compassion to people? Absolutely not. You can do those things, but be sober and see what God is showing you. Okay, the next word. This is uh, be vigilant. This is G1127. That word is to watch. Metaphorically, to give strict attention to, be cautious and active, to take heed lest through remission of uh, indolent, indolence, sorry, um, indolence, sorry, some destructive calamity sudden overtake one. So as you can see, you can be in that place of enjoying yourself and worrying about the things that you want, and you can be taken over by calamity or, or anything else. The devil's attacks are very subtle. He doesn't just come and grab you somewhere and want to do something to you. He can come in two ways. Sometimes he'll come in through trauma or he'll come in through pleasure. These are two ways that the devil attacks us. This is why, you know, around the time we find Christ, we're broken. Our, our um, you know, souls are broken because of past hurts, because of things that have happened to us. We have trouble trusting people, or we may trust people too much, you know, because of the fact of what we've been through. And then there is that pleasure that opens that appetite to the ways that are not of God, you know, that can make you overindulge. You know, if it feels good, do it. And that's what you're hearing today. Do what thou wilt will be the whole of the law because the devil wants you to just enjoy and not worry about anything. You know why? Because he's on the prowl. So when it, the Bible tells us to be sober and vigilant, we can't afford to fool around with this. Am I saying don't enjoy time with your husband or wife or with your kids? It's got nothing to do with that. But while you're even out with them, or whatever it is you're doing, even if you might shop or do whatever, be sober. You know, don't just go to restaurants and sit down and don't say grace. You don't know who's serving your food. These are things that we must be aware of that Christ has got to lead us in every place we are in everything that we do. Does that make sense? I'm not trying to scare you guys and make you feel bad. I'm letting you know what the Lord is trying to let us know we are at war, okay? So he says in verse nine, whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. But the God of all grace who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that ye have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. So God intends to let this devil run wild because God is going to condition you through, you know, through temperance and through patience and spending time with God and experience, okay? We are not gonna be able to avoid attacks, okay? It would be great if we could, but that's not how things are going down here while we are at war. But just know our God can conquer anything that the devil throws our way. We just have to be faithful and understand that if God wants me to do a thing, there's a reason for it. You can't afford to take anything for granted in this walk, okay? 
All right. So you see, if we have um, that eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after we have suffered a while, it's meant to make us perfect. What is perfect? Mature. One thing you'll find about people that have been in this thing a long time, they don't get scared when demons manifest. Why? Because they've been to war. You know, they don't panic when things seem to go haywire because their trust and faith is in the Lord Jesus Christ. So how do we get there? Through relationship. We must stay with Christ, have him share his mind with us. Okay, get as much Jesus Christ as we can possibly get. I want to play a quick clip of Leonard Ravenhill, and then we're going to get back into this lesson. But I just want to make a few points. This guy was so good. A lot of people don't like preachers like this, but I do because they let us know where we are. And that's important. It's just how um, it was mentioned the other day that if we went to the doctor, you know, and we were sick and we don't want to believe if something's wrong with us, that the doctor's not going to give us any bad news. What kind of a doctor would he be? You know, this is all about sobering in Christ. Oh, boy. Let's find this video real quick. You guys ready? All right. This is Lennon Raven. And hopefully it's not too loud. It's called agony. We have never seen the agonizing death of a man on a cross. Immediately a man was nailed to the cross, he lost all his rights. And if you ever get nailed to the cross, you lose all yours too. Paul says, don't trouble me. I'm branded. I bear the marks of a slave. I'm a bond slave of Jesus Christ. I've no will of my own. I've no rights of my own. There's an old hymn established on that very theme. Let my hands perform his bidding. Let my feet run in his ways. Let my eyes see Jesus only. Let my lips speak forth his praise. All for Jesus. All my beings, ransom powers. All my thoughts and words and doings. All my days and all my hours. This man is no professional preacher. Preaching is not a profession, it's a passion. And don't preach with passion, he shouldn't preach at all. There's no breath of professionalism anywhere in the ministry of Paul, and thank God there's no breath of commercialism either. Paul has no fear. Do you know what he did? I went to Johnson when you fellows were doing. Do you know what he once did? He said, I bow the knee to the Father. And because he bowed the knee to the Father, he never bowed the knee to anybody else. Neither demons or politicians or kings. He stood there, regal. I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. In America alone right now, we have, I dare to say this, but before God, I believe we have hundreds of millions of gospel cassettes. And we have millions of gospel books. And we've hundreds of Bible schools. And we've hundreds, over the year, we have hundreds of seminars. And we have people memorizing the scriptures. And we have about 5,000 radio stations who every day give some part of the scripture. And yet with all this stuff to feed on, dear God, where are we with all this stuff to feed on? 95% of us are spiritual cripples. Spiritual infants. Spiritual babes, children, full of self-pity, self-interest, self-seeking, self-concern. Me first. And some people love God because he did. They've got this wretched prosperity stuff. 
Paul very clearly, but he doesn't, doesn't he say, uh, writing to Timothy there, that you'll come a day when people think that gain is godliness? Paul says, you'll come a day when people think that gain is godliness. God's choices means God have another shirt to change. Peter said in his day that someone will make merchandise of you. That couldn't be more true than the day in which we're living. Somebody said to a friend of mine recently who might be doing some building for God, he said, listen, can you give you a word of advice? Don't build anything that will embarrass you in a few years. That's a very good point. I see God's money going in stately buildings and swimming pools and tennis courts and I want to vomit. With the world starving, with the mission field eating money, Paul never glamorized the gospel. It's a very gory gospel. It's a bloody gospel. It's a sacrificial gospel. I believe the cardinal ethic of Christianity is sacrifice, not success, sacrifice. The most precious thing we ever handle is the human soul. There is only one way to heaven, there are a million ways to hell. What do you do to go to hell? Nothing. Just do nothing, that's all. You don't have to thumb your nose at God. You don't have to blaspheme the name of Jesus. You don't have to be a dancer. Just coast on. For the greatest sin in the world is not a dancer. The greatest sin in the world is I can manage my life without God. That's the greatest thing. There is only one way to heaven. There are million ways to hell. Just coast on. You say sometimes, I wonder God doesn't burden me, you know why? Because he can't trust you, that's why. You're not strong enough to carry the burden. None of you here this morning, you don't need more life. This, this will only make it worse for you the judgment of what you need is more obedience. Some of you have known for years what you should do, and you have a whole band. Do you remember some of those awesome words Jesus said to the disciples? I've many things to tell you, but you can't bear them. I say, Reverend, the Almighty God, don't say that to me at the judgment seat. Don't understand it, all John Wesley and Finney and all the great saints of the ages. Say, Reverend, I've many things to tell you. You're so preoccupied with this, so preoccupied. I couldn't get through to you. And if I could, you won't mature enough to handle it. I've been this inside eternity. I believe every one of us will have wished that we'd sacrifice more, pray more, love more, sweat more, grieve more, wet more. understanding how can we live every day of our lives and not love our neighbor you know how can we see souls going to hell and not want to tell anybody about Jesus Christ it's that lack of being sober is what does it and I'm going to prove it let's go to Romans chapter 12 
I want to show you guys something here. But, you know, he brought up that point, five minutes in eternity. You know, I, I would give it even less time than that. Like, do we really feel like we would really want to follow God? I mean, you know, th this thing is more serious than religion plays it out to be. This is about winning souls. This is, to, this is about becoming a bride and doing what the Lord tells us to. So Romans 12, let's look at verse one. Paul says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. So what are you and I? We are caretakers for this body that Jesus Christ can inhabit. That's our reasonable service concerning the Lord. And he says, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So it seems like in order for us to sober up, to get the things that God wants, we have to first present our bodies a living sacrifice. Do you know the only thing that would make you and I present our bodies as a living sacrifice is that we must believe that God's way is the right way. You're never going to sacrifice everything over to someone that you don't trust. We must keep that in mind. You're going to sacrifice everything over to someone you trust. You're gonna give your life savings over to a total stranger? Not in the least, but you will do it with someone that you know that you trust. So this is all about a relationship with God. When we've come to the end of our road, that's one of the most sobering experiences that we can have. Lord, I've done it my way and nothing has gone right, but now I give it to you. And because I'm now giving it to you, I believe that you're going to take care of everything. This takes time. Look at what he says in verse three. For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. So as you can see, God knows us and he works with us in this way where he knows how much faith you have and he's going to work with you according to that amount of faith. But you know, this also falls in a lot of church Christian circles, Bible study circles and otherwise, we can think of ourselves as higher than we actually are. We can actually say, yeah, I'm ready to go out there and take on the devil and do all this and that. Oh, and you say, hey man, be careful with us. Oh, I don't, I ain't worrying about that sort of thing. Oh, I'm all right. I have, I'm the devil's boss. I have authority over the devil. See, when you think like that, that's not thinking soberly because the Bible tells us that we are not to be ignorant of Satan's devices, lest he get an advantage over us. So what does that tell us if he told that to the churches? That the devil can have advantage over us if we are not aware of his devices. That's important that you understand that. We're not wearing armor for no reason. So it's according to the measure of faith God deals with us. So we should just, you know, go through the process, spend time with God, get to know him on an intimate level, and he will work with you on the level that you are. Why? Because when God builds a house, he begins with the foundation. 
that foundation begins on Jesus Christ. Although we might be here ministering and other people teach or I teach or whomever, don't put your trust in us, put your trust in Christ, okay? Because this is all about you being conditioned to do the things that Jesus Christ wants us to do. If anybody has anything they can add, if not, I wanna move on. Let's go to um, Ephesians chapter five. I've been caught out there too sometimes, you know, thinking, yeah, I got this, you know, <laughs> we got to trust in the Lord. I'm not preaching. I'm not taking faith away from anybody here. You believe in God, okay? Because our God, our Jesus Christ can do anything, but the focus is understanding, guys, we are at war. Because if this thing were to tip off tomorrow, how ready would, would most of us be? You know, there are areas of my life that I can improve on. What my goal is, is to have Christ living in me and doing what needs to be done. Because you know what? He's the only one that's going to stand up in these times. Ephesians 5, let's look at verse 1. He says, be ye therefore followers of God uh, as dear children and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and have given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling savor. So notice uh, what Paul is making clear here in the first verse. He says, be ye therefore followers of God as dear children. So what would dear children do? They're gonna wait on their parents to take care of everything. They're going to trust in their parents. So he's not telling you walk as an adult with him, you know, because adults get themselves in trouble too. You have got to be as a child before the Lord, okay? And then he says, and walk in love as Christ also have loved us and have given himself for us for an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet, a sweet smell and savor. So we understand here, if we walk as children before the Lord, we're gonna walk in his love and he's comparing it to the love that Jesus Christ had for us. So what does that mean? Think about it, that's selflessness. Jesus lived a sacrificial life for the brethren. And he's saying, if you walk in love with Christ, he's comparing it to the way that Jesus loved us. And you know what? It makes clear before God, that type of sacrifice is a sweet smelling savor. That's why I say when we got people that come in ministry or other things, we need to spend time with each other. We need to do things together. You know why? Because we're on the battlefield, as the Bible says. Who do you think the devil is going to go after first? That babe. He's going to go after that person that's new in Christ, the person that doesn't know or whatever. We are here to help one another. Sometimes, man, Sister Nina and I, we have some good talks where I'll say something and she'll come up with what she feels. And you know what? This time she corrects me on it, and guess what? That's okay. Sometimes all I can say is, amen. You know, who am I to go against what God says? But you see, that's all a part of being one in Christ. Sacrificial love is a sweet-smelling savor before God. 
He says, but fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as becometh saints. So when we become saints, we need to put away fornication, uncleanness, covetousness, which is greed. These things shouldn't be named among us. Why? Because we're supposed to be selfless. And then he says in verse four, neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. So you see, this is another thing where we can get caught up too as Christians, because I know I'm a joker. I can be a jester sometimes. And, you know, you can crack a joke here and there, but a jester is someone that does that all the time, you know? And you could be preaching the gospel to people that they find Christ. And we're sitting there, hee hee, ha ha, look at this, look at that. But what we really should be doing is, hey, what about this person's soul? You joked enough with them to talk about the game last night and everything, but we shouldn't be involved in foolish talking because drunk people speak foolish. You guys ever been around someone drunk? They speak foolish. Some people say they speak the truth. Yeah, in some cases, because their inhibitions are down, but they speak foolishness and they don't even know what they're saying in most cases. But you see, when we're not sober before Christ, we can speak foolish like this too, okay? So he says in verse five, for this ye know that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. So we understand what Leonard Ravenhill was actually saying here. He was bringing up the point that if we were in eternity for five minutes, we would wish that we were doing more than the things that we've actually done. What he's making clear here, what Paul is saying is that no idolater, no whoremonger, no unclean person or covetous, greedy person who is an idolater will inherit the kingdom of God. That's sober. Now, you would think that we would all look at that and just say, you know what? God is right. So what do I need to do? Give it to the Holy Ghost. Give it to the Lord that he can lead these things out of me. You see, that's a sobering message. But you want to know what a drunken message sounds like? Oh, man, uh, you know, everybody will go to heaven. Homosexuals or whatever. God loves everybody. You don't have to change your lifestyle. God loves everybody. So when you hear messages preached like that, people become drunk. They become drunk with the foolish talking of false prophets. People telling you, man, you're going to make it to heaven. Don't even worry about it. You know, just God will, you know, God knows your heart. He sure does. And if your heart doesn't have Christ in it, you will go to hell. Okay, so these are messages that he's making it clear. But those who do the things on the list that he named, they will not inherit the kingdom of God. Look at verse six, let no man deceive you. You see that? With vain words. For because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. So as you realize, he says that this is vain words that these people are speaking and deceiving people. What are they deceiving you with? the wine of the fornication of the harlot, which is in Revelation 17. That harlot is a religious system. The one that says Babylon the Great on it. And it makes clear that she's covered in pearls and jewels and she's decked with precious stones. And 
She, you know, in her cup, it says, all the kings and the people of the earth have drunk of the wine of the fornication of this harlot. A lot of people are giving over to the religious system and they believe the lies that this wine, that this harlot is pushing. Now you would have to ask yourself, what draws people to these harlots? Have you ever met a harlot that was not attractive? There is something, even if they're not physically attractive, there's something very seductive about a harlot because that's the spirit that she walks in. So as the Bible says that she's one that's dressed nice and decked in gold and silver and precious stones, she has things on her that entice us to follow after that wine. That's why we've got to understand that the devil is never going to entice you with something that you wouldn't want. This is why we must be sober because we'll find ourselves going after things that pleasure us and not the things of God, okay? So this is why he's telling them, be sober. Why? Because the wrath of God comes upon the children of disobedience. So because of that, don't let man deceive you. Be in good standing with God. Read God's word, discover Jesus Christ, spend time with him so that you won't fall into the snare of the devil. So he says, be not ye, therefore partakers with them, for ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. So what are we, children that are not in darkness? Children that are also shining light on Jesus Christ. We would be children that are in the truth and not subject to lies. You know why? Because we've got God's word, we've got his spirit, and our Lord already told us. Okay, that's the glory, that's the beauty of our Lord. Verse nine says, for the fruit of the spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth. A lot of people like to hear goodness. A lot of people like to hear righteousness, but as you can see, it's accompanied with truth. True love is never void of truth. Compassion, never void of truth. If I were to show compassion to someone that's homeless, let's just say, or someone that's hurt or in need, and I said all the right things and I tried to help dress this person up, but in my heart, I only did it because people were standing across the street and I wanted to appear as a holy man. Was that in, was that in truth? No, that was done in witchcraft to try and get people to like me. So as you can see, goodness and righteousness are accompanied by the truth, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness but rather reprove them. That word for reprove means to expose them, okay? Because if you don't expose where darkness is, then believe it or not, you're in league with it. This is why a lot of Christians will see things wrong and you got the don't judge clan walking around, the don't judge cult, don't judge. Don't say anything about it. The Bible tells us not to judge. The Bible don't tell you not to judge. The Bible tells you not to judge as a hypocrite. The Bible tells you you can tell people the truth and speak about what is wrong because this is how people learn. But you first have to get the being out of your eye so that you can judge your brother righteously in Christ. And that's why the Bible tells us he that is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is judged of no man. Why? 
because he's got the mind of Christ. So don't have fellowship with the unfruitful words of darkness. Now you guys know throughout the day, there are many times that we hear darkness around us and you ever notice these people will try and get you to agree with them? Has anybody ever had that experience where they've been in darkness and they'll turn to you and say, right, ain't that true? And if you sit there and shake your head, yes, knowing that it's wrong, you're agreeing with it. So although we may seem like party poopers and like, man, you always got to throw that Bible somewhere. Sometimes we need to tell people, no, that's absolutely wrong. I had a, a coworker tell me, well, you could be a Christian, you know, and, and still go and live your life and do whatever you want. I said, that is not true. But I could feel like the enemy was trying to tell me, don't say that. You know, no, you've got to say it. You know why? That keeps us in the light. We must understand that, that if we have fellowship with darkness, then darkness comes over us. We've got to stand for the truth, which is the light. He says, for it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. But all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light. For whatsoever doth make manifest is light. So you see, when you make things manifest, what does the light do in this room? It sheds light on us. Everything that we're doing, whether it's on live stream or with us, can be seen. Why? There's a light in that camera. There is light in the room. So whatever does make manifest is light. Remember Jesus said in John 3, men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. The only time people sneak around in darkness is because they don't want to come to the light of the truth of Christ. If we're going to walk with Christ, we've got to be transparent to let the Lord shine light on where we are wrong and be made right. Here's another drunken lie that's going on around right now. Christians can't have demons. A lot of people believe this. A Christian can have demons. Derek Prince was being delivered of demons all throughout his ministry of his life. Because a lot of Christians know that there's something wrong, but they'll say, no, nah, it's probably not a demon, you know, or whatever. Christians can't have demons. That's not true. So if you ignore the demons that Christians can have, they don't get delivered. So this is why Christians can have demons. Does that mean they're demon possessed? No, they can be under the influence of demons that God needs to chase away. But you see, if you don't know the enemy is there, you can't judge the demon. You can't go against it. Look at verse 14. Wherefore he saith, awake thou that sleepest and arise from the dead and Christ shall give thee light. See that you walk circumspectly. There's that word again, walking, looking around aware, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. So it's important, excuse me, that we walk around, you know, in the light, circumspectly, aware. Jesus says, I mean, Paul says, awake thou that sleepest and arise from the dead. A lot of us are walking around, I mean, like we just woke up. You know, we, man, I, I don't get a cup of coffee. I don't know what's going to happen. Man, you need to wake up. You know, the devil may be coming after you. I know. We got two sitting in here right now. Sarah and Anna love their coffee. But you know, the thing is, is we've got to be sober for the Lord to do what he says, because 
This devil is out to get us. He says, redeem the times. Pay attention to where you are because the days are evil. Okay, and look at what he says in verse 17. Wherefore be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. You see that? Then he says, but be not drunk with wine. Wherein is excess, but be filled with the spirit. So I don't think he's just talking about just straight wine alcohol here. He's also speaking of that wine of the fornication of the harlot, okay? That makes us drunk through the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. What is the lust of the eyes? The lust of the eyes is things that the eyes pay attention to that are pleasurable to them. Those are the ones that usually get us in the most trouble, okay? The lust of the flesh, the things of the desires of the flesh that we think we can't live without. You usually see it and then you want it. So that's the lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh. Some people, you gotta tell some young men, you know, hey man, don't, don't be having sex without marriage and this and that. And they look at you like you quit. What, no sex? Man, you crazy, what's gonna happen to me? But you see, the thing is, is if you never had sex again, nothing would happen to you. You may have a desire, but there may be things that will just go away. But look at how the lust of the flesh just tells you, man, I got to have it. I got to have that cigarette. I've got to have that beer, that alcohol. I've got to have that woman. That's the lust of the flesh, okay? When the Lord is commanding you to fast and you're just looking for, man, I gotta eat. It's been about five hours. I know what the Lord said, but I gotta go and eat. That's the lust of the flesh, okay? The pride of life, I think, is the biggest issue for a Christian. I'm not talking about for an unsaved person. For a Christian, the biggest problem is the pride of life. You know why? Because that word for life means that bios, that physical life, that life that you and I live. What will we be in the world if we give everything to Jesus? That's the pride of life. I still want to be somebody. I still got to tell a lie or two because I don't want people to know how I really am. That's the pride of life. The pride of life will not allow you to humble yourself in the sight of God so that he can lift you up. You know, there are some people that are strong spiritually and we get around those people and we act like that's us. Don't do that. That's the pride of life. Let the Lord move you along where you are and let him build you up. But you see, the pride of life tells you, unless I'm successful in this life, I can't be successful in the one to come. And that's what Jesus was talking about when he says, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. If you want to keep this life here, you'll lose the one that you have there. You've got to give it over to Christ and be sober. Because I'll tell you what another drunken message is, man, just give God some, but you ain't gotta give him everything. God knows you gotta live. That's a drunken message that is meant to get you to go to sleep, to take the fight out of you so that you won't pray on your knees before the Lord anymore. You won't fast before him. You won't seek, ask, and knock for what God wants you to have because you're so focused on your life. And you see, Jesus says, if any man come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. He that, that uh, what does it say? He that uh, loses his life for my sake will find it. 
He that keeps his life will lose eternal life. You've got to give up a life for a life to walk with Christ, okay? Look at verse 19, speaking to yourselves in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. So you see, those things keep us sober. When you when you sing um, psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs before the Lord, it's like, you know, it just reminds you, it elevates you. You feel uplifted in the spirit of God to obey God and feel one with him. You see, this is what Paul is telling us to do. You want joy, joy in Christ, okay? Because the joy of the Lord is what? Our strength, all right? So he says in verse 20, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. So you see, that's why the Bible tells us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom and understanding. You know why? It sobers you up and you get to the place of, Lord, you lead the way. You see, a healthy dose of fear really keeps us in the place we need to be with the Lord. So there's nothing wrong with the fear of the Lord. That's another drunken message that they tell you, man, you ain't got to fear God. God is love. God is love, but God is to be feared. You know, and that's what we've got to recognize to walk with him. It's a beautiful thing to follow Christ, but we must understand who is the boss. Just like any child, just like any pet you may have in the house, they've got to understand whose house this is, who knows what's best. That's the only way things are going to go in harmony with you and Christ. Get to the end of yourself, give it to him, and he will sober you up. All right. Oof. Let's go to Luke uh, 21. Luke 21. I don't want to stay too long. Our, our sister Christina is in pain tonight, guys. So anybody hear this message online or whatever, you know, just pray. You know, pray for her. And, you know, my brother Rock T, I actually want to... Um, I wouldn't say give accolades or a shout out because it's all about Christ. But my brother, Rock T in Australia, he and his mom, I want to keep them in prayer too. You know, this guy's been burning CDs of our teachings and giving them out to people, he and his mom. You know, so keep them in prayer too because they're going out trying to win souls. That's a beautiful thing to want to go and win souls. Okay, so keep him in prayer too. And he supports this ministry from where he is. You know, give him, you know, keep that brother in prayer. Good brother. Uh, where did I say that? Luke 21. Let's go there. All right. Let's look at Luke 21. And I want to begin. Uh, verse 19. This is Jesus. This is called the Oliver Discourse. This is what Jesus told his disciples in Luke 21, Mark 13, and Matthew 24, when they asked him, when shall these things be, and what shall be the sign of their coming and of the end of the world? So verse 19 says, in your patience, possess ye your souls. 
And when ye shall see Jerusalem compassed with armies, then know that the desolation thereof is not. Then let them which are in Judea flee to the mountains and let them which are in the midst of it depart out and let not them that are in the countries enter therein, thereinto. For these be the days of vengeance that all things which are written may be fulfilled. But woe unto them that are with child and to them that give suck in those days. For there shall be great distress in the land and wrath upon this people. And they shall fall by the edge of the sword and shall be led away captive into all nations. And Jerusalem shall be trodden down of the Gentiles unto the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. So as you know, this was 70 AD, but this is also future prophecy. Why? Because we are still in the time of the Gentiles. Okay, we're not at the end of the Gentiles until you see that rock, which is Christ coming back, okay? So then he says in verse 25, and there shall be signs in the sun and in the moon and in the stars and upon the earth, the stress of nations with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring, men's hearts failing them for fear and for looking after the things which are coming on the earth, for the powers of heaven shall be shaken. Now, why do you think men's hearts are gonna fail them for fear? Why do you think some of these people are gonna have a heart attack when a lot of these things come to pass? Pretty much, it's because they're drunk. It's because they live in fantasy where Christ wants you and I to be sober. So he says in verse 27, and then shall they see the son of man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. And when these things begin to come to pass, then look up and lift up your heads and for your redemption draweth nigh. And he spake to them a parable. He says, behold of uh, the fig tree and on all the trees, uh, when they now shoot forth, ye see and know of your own selves that summer is now nigh at hand. So he's saying, if you pay attention to the fig tree, we guys know that we're in spring right now. Why? Because you're seeing leaves growing on the trees, okay? Look at what he says in verse um, 31. He says, so likewise ye, when you see these things come to pass, know that the kingdom of God is nigh at hand. So you see how he wants them sober? Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass away till all be fulfilled. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. And take heed to yourselves, lest at any time your hearts be overcharged with surfeiting and drunkenness and the cares of this life. And so that day come upon you unawares. So we know that Jesus has said, that he would come as a thief in the night, that he would come when no man would know that day would be. And he's telling them one, to be, um, take heed to yourselves that your hearts be overcharged or not be overcharged with surfeiting. Surfeiting is like overeating or overindulgence. You can get so caught up with that or drunkenness, you know, alcohol or otherwise, paying attention to things that are not of God, and then there is the cares of this life. And that day can come upon us unawares. 
where we're not aware of what God calls us to do, and we go according to the ways of the world, then we're drunk. So he wants us to be sober so that we don't get caught out there. Like the five wise and the five foolish virgins. One group slumbered, the other slept. Slumbering is like sleeping. Sleeping means you're out of it. But the ones that slumbered, yeah, I might be resting, but I am also prepared with my oil and my lamp and ready to do what I'm ready for the bridegroom. I'm just resting my eyes. You know, some people would tell you, I'm not asleep. I'm just resting my eyes. But these people are actually aware of what's going on. And because they kept that oil in their lamp, because they spent time with Christ, he knew them. So when he came, they were ready. But for those in Matthew 25 that did not listen, that were spending time in the world, they didn't keep their, their lamps full. Then Jesus told them plain and simple, I know you not. What happened to them? They were caught unawares. And why was that? Because they were not sober. They were drunk with believing, I've got more time than I actually have. No day is promised to us, guys. Not one day. Every day or every moment of our lives can be our last. Am I saying to be paranoid? No. You live your life in the peace of God, having his fruit manifest in you. You enjoy the pleasures that God gives you in this life and serving him. But be aware, okay? Because when you are not aware, that's when the devil will attack us. That's when he comes. Just when you think your finances are good and you trust in them, the devil will hit you with something to take those things away. So we've always got to be aware of what God wants. Just when you find peace with Christ and the devil can't get in with you, what does he attack next? Your family those closest to you. Why? He's trying to keep you from praying. Some people you pray for, it seems like they get worse. What's the solution? You keep praying because the devil is trying to get you to just give up hope and just say, forget it. But you see, when you're sober, I know that the devil is behind this situation. So I'm going to pray as God commands me to, to cast out that devil. We've got to know our inheritance in Christ. But if we're walking around believing there's no enemy, my family members are just crazy because they're a bad seed, then you're not seeing what's going on. The Bible makes clear that the devil walks around as a roaring lion. His job is to take as many to hell as he can. We've got to learn to stay focused on the Lord, okay? So he says in verse 35, for as a snare shall it come on all them that dwell on the face of the whole earth. Watch ye therefore and pray always. Not sometimes, you can pray psalms, hymns and spiritual songs throughout the day, thankful and make a melody in your heart to the Lord. Because one thing the devil cannot stand is praise of God. He's got to get out of there. He can't stand Jesus. So even when he's attacking you, understand, be sober. And this ain't just a bad day. This is the devil. So you know what? Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah, anyhow. You know what, Lord? You were good. As long as I'm in my body, praise ye the Lord. Another day to serve you. You watch the devil flee. That's why the Bible tells you to resist him, because the devil doesn't have patience. The devil is going to pick on you until you, you know what, I resist you. He's got to flee. 
You know why? Because he's bloodthirsty. If he can't get to you, he'll go to someone else. But guard that house. All right. So he says, watch ye therefore and pray always that ye may be accounted worthy to escape all these things that shall come to pass and to stand before the son of man. So does it mean escape, like not be in this or involved in it? No, it means that you will overcome them and get through them. That means that whatever snares the devil has for you, God will guide you through them and they'll have no effect. But we are going through as believers. That's also a part of our inheritance. Praise the Lord. Um, I'm not gonna go too long tonight, but I want to go to, uh, Let's go to, um, in your spare time, read 1 Corinthians 10, where it says, if any man think he stands, let him take heed, lest he fall. Okay, that's important. We can never get too big in this thing. You ever notice Jesus never really demeaned the devil. Jesus just made it clear he's the God of this world. But the Lord knew that he overcame him, that the devil had no power. He said, the ruler of this world comes and he's got nothing in me because Jesus overcame the world, the flesh, and the devil. The only way for us to be successful is not for us to overcome the world, the flesh, and the devil, but through Christ overcome all things because Jesus is the only conqueror that is. Our job is draw close to him and let the spirit of God lead you because you and I, will. we can't do this on our own. Just when we think we've got it, the devil's got another snare. So we've got to trust in the Lord and obey what he wants. Second Peter chapter three. And I can tell you when I um, teach on things like this, I know that something's coming, okay? The devil's gonna try and mess with me. Usually the Lord will give the answer before the devil comes and tries to put you to the test. So, you know, let this teaching sink in, not because I'm teaching it, it's because it's the words of Christ that he wants us to have it. All right, Second Peter three, let's begin at verse one. If anyone wants to add anything, please do. Yeah, I, I just, tonight, I'm just gonna read it out loud. Second Peter three, let's look at verse one. He says, this second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance. So this is another way that Paul is sobering. And this is what the spirit will do at times. He'll bring things to your remembrance. Just when you start to doubt, the Lord will show you in many ways how he's conquered. That's what God wants us to do. Why? To give us faith. Many times the Lord told the children of Israel, I am the Lord thy God that brought you up out of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Why? He wanted to bring to their memory, if I'm with you, it doesn't matter who's against you. Verse two says that ye may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandments of the um of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days, scoffers uh, walking uh, walking after their own lust. So, you know, a lot of people are gonna mock the Bible. We see them, 
when we tell people we're Christians, they try and give us their philosophy. What are they trying to do? Get you to not believe. So this is why the Lord tells us this. And saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers tell, I mean, fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. If there's anything that the devil does that bugs me more than anything, it's this. When people come to you and tell you, if your God is real, then where is he? Why haven't he revealed himself? Why isn't he here by now? They do that to try and tempt you because you see in their reality, seeing is believing. But we know that our God exists simply because one, he lives in us. Two, you're not drunk. And three, you can see things through the mind of Christ. You know that you're not here on your own. You know that you can't get order in this world out of disorder. And you know that this place belongs to the devil. If it's clear that the devil is walking around, then clearly God is around too. Because everything the word of God tells us comes to pass. And there is your evidence. Not just that, but what he's done in your life. So as a Christian, you carry that testimony because that testimony helps you to counter the fiery darts of the wicked one. I got a teaching coming up on that. But you see, you've got to be reminded of who God is and what he's done. So when he says that we are an epistle written and read of all men, we truly are. To minister the gospel and hide your testimony is the worst thing that you can do because God's evidence of what he can do is in you. We are meant to carry our testimony, not to be better than people, but to let people know where you were and what God has brought you from. You see, if you can't deal with people on a spiritual level, deal with them on that level that they can actually see, you know what, I am a drug addict. I need to be saved, especially when they know that you were one. I mean, that gives you power against the devil to save a life. So don't hide that. Verse five, for this they are willingly, for this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens uh, were of old and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that then was uh, being overflowed with water perished. But the heavens and the earth which are now by the same word are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. So as you can see, when he says they are willingly <coughs> ignorant, these people are drunk. You know, a drunk person can't act. I mean, once you're drunk, you can't act sober. You're drunk. So when they're willingly ignorant, they're going with the flow of the booze. Okay, they're not going to understand what you're saying at that time. So these people are ignorant willingly because the word tells us what we should do. Verse eight says, but beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. A lot of people make the mistake in this and they believe that the seven day or six day creation was broken into periods of thousands of years. They don't understand what's being said here that God sits outside of time and time is nothing to God. So if you did something 10 years ago, God remembers it as if it was yesterday. This is why we've all got to get right, okay, with him and repent 
because everything that we do will be brought before God in judgment. If we're doing anything wrong before the Lord now, stop it because it's going to be revealed. God does not forget. And what that guy said in that video, remember, he said that the vision that God gave him of what was going on in heaven, he said that on judgment day, your life holds you by the hand. So while you're sitting there denying, saying that you didn't do something, your life is actually playing a video before the Lord and saying, yes, you did. You see, and that's the other thing about our souls. They collect a lot of data. This is why you and I will never run out of memory. We will never be full on information. There's a two-year-old boy in Nigeria. This is no lie, guys, that memorized the whole Bible. I'll play a video for that. He's like a phenomenon. Like people are going crazy over this little kid, but his dad will ask him a question, and that kid knows the answer verse to verse. I mean, that's just a you know grace of God. That's what's coming in the future for these children that he intends to use. Two-year-old or three-year-old kid can he memorize the whole Bible? Whatever his dad mentions, this kid knows but that's the spirit of God. I'll show you guys that video or put it down in the um, in the description box. Yes, sir. Also, um, one day I was listening to Pastor David Wilkerson. Mm -hmm. He told us this young man who, you know, said that he had a vision and you know, he was allowed to tell it to the congregation, but this young man had been saved from, from drugs and alcohol. Mm -hmm. But he found himself, like we were talking about, you know, the, the whole drunken lies of what's being played out there today. He mm -hmm. thought he was basically under that super grace that says, you know, mm -hmm. I can go for a way, I can go away for a while, but I can come back and that, you know, he's like, I can ask for your forgiveness and you know, you'll take me back mm -hmm. every time. He said, one time the Lord gave him a vision and told him, he said, there's going to come a day. He said, God stands, you know, he's always there for us. He's like, mm -hmm. there's going to come a day you think that you're going to come back to me, he's like, and I won't be there. Mm -hmm. And it scared that young man so much that the, that very next day in, in church, he was still shaken up by it because mm -hmm. he, had, he realized how much he had taken the Lord for granted and thinking I could just go live in the world, do what I want to do for time being, and then come back. And that's mm -hmm. Super grace is also a false doctrine. You got a lot of guys out there preaching that. It's doesn't matter what you do. They're even telling you now you don't even need to repent, you know. And and that one of them is this guy Joseph Prince. I don't know if you guys ever heard of him, but he's a super grace preacher, and he believes it doesn't matter what you do, you don't need to repent. That God asked the, this is his example. Did God take the prodigal son and tell him to repent before he hugged him, even though he had pigs, pig slop and everything on him? I'm like, if you don't understand what repentance is, that guy got sober, came to himself and recognized it was better with my father and he headed home. That's repentance. But you see, this man wants to keep people drunk. He's one of these prosperity preachers that are telling people, enjoy your life. God knows your heart. He sure does. And if you don't know Christ, you will go to hell. Why would If Paul tells us not to frustrate the grace of God and Joseph Prince is telling you we've got super grace, who are you going to believe? Do you know there's a lot of pastors that don't even like Paul? 
because Paul sums up the truth even concerning the law and other things. They don't like Paul. There are some churches that tell you, we don't listen to Paul in here. No, Paul is not a part of this thing. So they try and separate Paul from this. Watch when we get finished reading this, why they separate Paul and why they don't like him. So he says in verse nine, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise as some men count slackness, but is long suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So God does not want his people to perish and don't think because God didn't do it yet that he's not gonna do anything. Get right with the Lord while you can. He is a righteous and just God. He is not going to aid you in your wickedness. He's telling you to repent, confess your sins. And he's faithful and just to forgive us of those sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He says, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heaven shall pass away with a great noise and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. So imagine a heat so hot that the earth can just be incinerated. That's what's gonna happen in the day of the Lord. Only thing that matters is where we are with Christ. Look at verse 11. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved. You know what dissolved means? Pretty much. You know, dissolve. What man, huh? Exactly. What manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, uh, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with a fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according uh, to his promise, Look for new heavens and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent that ye may be found in, I mean, of him in peace without spot and blameless. So that's why the Lord wants us to stop the sin. Be diligent. Serve him. You know you've got a problem with an addiction. The Lord is an ever-present help in our time of need. You call upon the name of the Lord in everything, every addiction, every disease, every whatever it is you're dealing with, sin has got to bow the knee to the name of Jesus. You've got to believe in him for these things to take place. But just because we're struggling with something, that's not an excuse. Jesus suffered all things and was tempted by all. So only Christ can overcome what we're dealing with, okay? So he wants us blameless. Look at verse 15. An account that the long suffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul also, according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you, as also in all his epistles, speaking in, speaking in them of these things, and which are some things hard to be understood, which which they that are unlearned and unstable rest, as they do also the other scriptures unto their own destruction. So you see, Paul, the only reason people don't like him is because 
A lot of people are ignorant and unlearned to the writings of Paul. They don't understand what Paul is saying. So a lot of people will try and cast out Paul, but Peter's calling him here a brother. And Peter is making it clear that if you're ignorant and unlearned, some things may be hard to understand. So that's not an excuse. You study God's word and you ask the Holy Ghost for more understanding. And also, here's another message. You know how we all love. This is something the Lord showed me on a break. But he said, you know, um, in his word, we all love those who believe in Christ. Out of our bellies will flow rivers of living water. You know, when we hear that, we mark it down, we love it. But did we ever really read that one verse to its fullness where it says, if we believe on Christ, as the scripture hath said, out of our bellies will flow rivers of living water. A lot of people believe in a Jesus. A lot of people believe things about Jesus that he never said. But if we believe on Jesus, as the scriptures have said, out of our bellies will flow rivers of living water. So we've got to be right with Christ, okay? So let's move on. I wanna make a quick point um, and I'm gonna be done. I'm gonna close out. Let's go to uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter four and I'm gonna close from there. My sister, Christina, can get a good night's sleep. It's hard watching you suffer. Like, man, she's hurting. All right, First Thessalonians 4, let's look at verse 1. Everybody there? All right, he says, Furthermore, then we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus, that as ye have received of us how ye ought to walk and to please God, so ye would abound more and more. So right away, we're back on pleasing God. You notice that that's the sobering walk of a Christian is to please the Lord. And why does he want us to do this? That we would abound more and more. He wants us to grow from faith to faith, glory to glory. Look at verse two. For ye know what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that ye should abstain from fornication. Now, you know, there are two types of fornication. Fornication is the Greek word pornia, which means all type of illicit sexual activity. Anything in porn is fornication. Homosexuality, sex before marriage, adultery, bestiality, sodomy, you name it. They're all in line with that. But then there is a spiritual fornication, which is to be intimate with God's enemies. Okay, when you have other gods, aside from God, when you indulge in things that are not of God, that's also spiritual fornication. That's why he told Israel in Jeremiah chapter two, that every time I see you, you're supposed to be my bride, but you know, every time I find you, you're up somewhere playing the harlot because they had idolatrous parts and they worshiped other gods, okay? Look at verse four, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor, 
not in the lust of concupiscence, even as the um, Gentiles, uh, which know not God. So let's look up that word concupiscence. I know y'all want to get out of here, but I want to make this clear so that we have an understanding. Okay, that's 1 Thessalonians 4. What verse is that? Uh, 5, okay. 1 Thessalonians 4 and verse 5, and that word for concupiscence, that's G1939. That word means desire, craving, longing, desire for what is forbidden, and lust. So you see, when you've got a desire for things that are forbidden, like Adam and Eve had, knowing what God told them about the tree of knowledge of good and evil, they went after it anyway, okay? So that's what concupiscence is. We've got to be in that place of desiring that which is of Christ. And it takes time. When people tell you that when you give your life to Christ, your desire for sin will go away automatically, they're lying to you. That's another drunken message that people try and tell you. It takes time and sanctification, spending time with God and winning one battle over sin after another, okay? So he says in verse six, that no man go beyond and defraud his brother in any matter because that the Lord is the avenger of all such as we also have forewarned you and testified. So when we know God, we can, also, we can actually be in that place of, I know God is watching how I talk about Sarah or Anna or, or Nina or Christina. God is watching me with the things that I do. So if we understood that God is an avenger of all things that are unrighteous towards your brother, we would get in line with God. You know the only people that can follow that are those who are sober and led by the spirit. Because it's easy to think God's not listening because he's not standing in front of you. But a sober mind knows he could be 10 million miles away. He heard what I said. Verse seven, for God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. He therefore that despiseth, despiseth not man, but God, who hath also given unto us his Holy Spirit. So if we hate anybody or anything, you know, I mean, sin, of course we hate, but when you despise your brother or whatever, you're despising the Lord. When the words of God cut deep so much so that you hate the people that are telling you about it, you, you despise God because what they're speaking of is God's ways. We're reading God's word. This is never personal. People are either inspired by the Lord or of the devil. There is no in between. All right, let me finish up verse nine. But as touching brotherly love, ye need not that I write unto you, for ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another. And indeed you do, you do it toward all the brethren which are in all Macedonia, but we beseech you, brethren, that ye increase more and more. So you see, we're not supposed to stay in the same place with the Lord. Our relationship with him and with our neighbors, even our enemies, is supposed to grow. What pace it's gonna grow at is what pace we give to God. It's not up to man. Verse 11, and that ye study to be quiet, and to do your own business and to work with your own hands as we commanded you. This is another thing the Lord has actually shown me during my break time with him. Derek, 
you talk too much. I had to ask the Lord, you know, why did you come to me in my sleep to tell me? Because I talk too much. When you're too busy and you're always doing things, you're not listening. So he's like, man, finally he's asleep. So I can actually talk to him and maybe he'll take it in. You know, I laugh at myself with this, but this is an area in my life where I need to be quiet and talk less. Because you know what? When you're talking, God can't talk to you. But when you're quiet, when you have that quiet time, when you're not just praying and hear words come out of your mouth, just sit there in quietness in that peace. And God will speak to you. Why? Because he knows that you want to hear him. Talking and suggesting, well, God, I do all the talking. I'm the only one that's got problems. I'm telling you what's wrong with me. And perhaps the Lord has got another list that he wants to show you what else is wrong with you so that we can get these things right. You've got to spend time in quiet with God, okay? So anyway, verse 12, that ye may walk honestly toward them that are without and that ye may have lack of nothing. So God wants us complete. Verse 13, but I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. So is he talking about people that are sleeping or people that are drunk? No, he's speaking of those that are in the ground that are dead at this time. He says, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. I'll tell you another thing that is drunken before I close right now. Every pastor on this earth at funerals put people in heaven. Is it up to me to say who's gone to heaven or not? No, but I will say this, if more pastors were honest, more people would give their lives to Christ. But how are you gonna be you know, on drugs, in a liquor store, shooting and killing somebody, and then you get shot? And the pastor knows the story. And he puts the person in heaven. Oh, he's in a better place now. That's a lie. You know, and, and if the pastors weren't afraid of the people and they told people, hey, you know, this is what's going on. You better get saved while there's time more people would come to Christ. Because you know what? When a heart is broken, it can receive God. When a heart is full of pride and I'm me and I don't have any trouble, you can't hear God. You're not sober. So you see, more pastors need to be honest and tell people the truth. I remember one day Anna told a story about um, there was somebody, I don't remember the story. Oh, someone that committed suicide. Okay, and they put it on the internet or whatever. So Anna responded on Facebook, letting them know that, you know, to kill yourself is a sin. And everybody, everybody, all these so-called Christians jumped on her and began to try and beat her down with how that wasn't loving and all these different things. She didn't say the person went to hell. She said it's a sin to kill yourself. But to be honest with you, if you do commit suicide, I personally believe from the word and everything else that you will go to hell. No murderer will enter into the kingdom of God. We are not our own. We belong to Jesus Christ. Suicide is a cop out to stay drunk and not deal with Christ, who is your solution. 
So, you know, that spirit of suicide is taking people out. And I want people to know that there is a solution in Jesus Christ. If you kill yourself, I'm going to say this because I believe that this is true. You will go to hell. You have no right to take your own life at any time. All right. If you're, you know, drinking and smoking until you die, I believe, too, if you don't get that right with Christ, I believe you will go to hell. The Bible says that if you defile and pollute this temple, that you will be, you know, you will go to hell. So we've got to respect this body. If we've got addictions and problems, pray that the Lord removes them. It's not up to me to to condemn people. I'm not condemning people. I'm telling people the truth that they can sober up and get saved. If I don't love you, I'll tell you, oh, he's in a better place. But it's not true. What were you going to say? The fruit of the Spirit should follow you. You know, if you're saved, I've had so many people ask me, like, why don't you think this person in your life is saved? Voiced it. And Mm -hmm. a lot of it comes down to the fruit. (laughs) You will know them by their fruit. Jesus said, don't look for a warm smile or someone preaching the gospel. You will know them by their fruit. The fruit that's in them says whether or not they're saved. He says it's impossible for a good tree to bear, you know, evil fruit. But how many people are so drunk they believe, no, but I believe they got a good heart. Say, man, he's a drug dealer. Yeah, but, you know, I I believe because he was with Christ that he's a man of God. You can't get more drunk than that. When you see sin and you're not telling people the truth, you got to tell people. Now, it would be wrong for me to say that man is going to hell and God won't receive him. That's wrong because we don't know who God's going to receive, but he's got to repent. I have a right to say that. He needs to repent and get right with Christ or he will go to hell. Another thing is, suicide, repent, you know? That's right. You die in your sins. And and that's something that I got a teaching coming up on that too, the spirit of suicide, because that spirit is just claiming lives. And Derek Prince mentioned once that if you go through depression and if it's not treated or you don't find Christ or get out of that circle, The next one is despair. And despair is just hopelessness. And he says the last one is sure, which is suicide. You will commit suicide if you can't get out of despair. Because if I've got no hope, what's the point? If you look at 1 Thessalonians chapter uh, 13, it says, but I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. So you see, what allows us to go through this life trusting Christ is we know that we're going to be raised on that last day. That's why Paul says, don't be ignorant. This isn't the end. If we have hope in Christ Jesus only in this life, we're of all men most miserable. That's what the word says. So our hope is in the future. Our hope is in Christ. And when we have that hope in Christ, that keeps us doing what the Lord says. You guys remember that teaching, hope and faith, the difference between the two of them? Man, we need them both to walk with God. All right, so anyway, he says in verse 15, for this we say, and notice in verse uh, 14, he says, for those who died and are asleep, 
those who will sleep in Christ, okay? You've got to die as a Christian if you're gonna be raised. Verse 15, for this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. He didn't turn them unto their own comfort. He's talking about the comfort of the promises of Almighty God, which is eternal life. What would it be worth to live this life? And then that's the end of it. You see, so this life is nowhere near as important as the one to come. We are living and getting to know Christ in this life that we may enjoy eternity with Christ. So I just wanna say to people with that, to be sober and vigilant. This is even with what I'm about to say, if you know you're not saved and nobody knows this more than you, give your life to Christ while you have time. I'm pleading with you, not for my sake, but for the words of Jesus Christ, that he has prepared many mansions for his people. He has prepared a place for us because you don't want to go to hell, guys. You don't want to live a life in eternal hell, never getting out, being tormented when you've got the time to give it to Christ. So repent of your sins, ask the Lord for his spirit, believe in the shed blood of Jesus Christ, believe that he died for you and that he was sent of the Father, that you don't have to live a life in condemnation, get baptized, read God's word, spend time with him, and you will receive the Holy Ghost of God where you will be one with Christ. Don't miss out on this opportunity. Tomorrow is not promised to us. We can find ourselves going to bed and not waking up. Give your life to Christ and repent while there is time. I just wanna say, I love you all. Let's be sober and be vigilant. Wear that armor. That armor is not a fashion trend. That armor is to protect your butt in the war against the devil. All right, so I guess Sarah doesn't have anything tonight. We can go out in prayer. Anybody want to pray tonight? I'll pray. All right, let's pray. Thank you, Lord. Heavenly Father, I come to you this evening in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for this day. Thank you, Lord God, for this opportunity that you've yet again given us that we can just come and draw closer to you, Lord Jesus, and to get into your word, Lord, but to also understand the times that we are living in, Lord Jesus, that we have to be sober yes, in these last days, Lord Jesus. We cannot afford to get complacent. We cannot afford to get comfortable, Lord. We cannot afford to get lazy yes, Lord. and just go with whatever is being preached. We have to know your word, Lord Jesus, that we are not deceived because the enemy, Lord, he is trying to deceive us abundantly right now with, yes, with and using 
trying to use your word to do so, Lord. And he's using false pastors and false prophets today, yes, trying to send people to hell, Lord. He's twisting your word so much. And that's why, Lord, it's not about just reading your word, but if we have a relationship with you, Lord Jesus, through the power of the Holy Ghost, yes, you Lord tell Jesus. us what your word says. So we know truth because you are truth, Lord. You would never deceive us, but there are people out there under the spell of witchcraft Yes, trying Lord. to deceive so many people to go to hell, Lord, knowing full well what they're doing, Lord Jesus. And Thank I'm praying, you, Lord. Lord God, in the name of Jesus, that yes, you Lord. break those bands of deception off of the minds of people tonight, Lord Jesus, that they will receive you, Lord God, that we understand, Lord Jesus Christ, to walk with you is to not boast of ourselves, but only to boast of you, Lord Jesus. Yes, Self Lord. has nothing to do with it, Lord God. It keeps us humble. To recognize, Lord Jesus, what you do through us. Yes, Lord Jesus. That people, Lord God, they won't see us, but they will see you in us, Lord Jesus. But Thank you, Lord. To know of the nature change that it takes on, Lord Jesus. And, and the constant prayer and, and fasting and denying ourselves, Lord Jesus. But it's also knowing, Lord, the times that we're in. We're in some evil days, Lord Jesus. So yes, I'm praying, Lord. Lord God, that people out there listening tonight, Lord Jesus, that you be with them. Lord, that they will repent of the sin that they are living in, Lord Jesus, because you can heal us, you can make us whole yes, if we Lord. just give up this life, Lord. But it has to be a desire within us, Lord Jesus, because we will only do those things that we will desire after, Lord. No yes, one forces Lord. us to do it. There may be temptations of struggling, but Lord, ultimately, it is a choice that we make, yes, whether Lord. to follow after you, to follow after the world, to follow after Satan. So I'm praying, Lord God, that these people will repent, Lord Jesus Christ, that if there's any secret sin in our life, Lord God, that we will repent and give it to you, Lord God Almighty, because we cannot afford to be on the side of wrath, Lord Jesus, but of your righteousness. Yes, Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus Christ, God Almighty, for all and everything that you've done. Yes, Lord. Be with this ministry and other ministries out there tonight as well in the fight in the fire, Lord. Give them the strength and the encouragement and the endurance to continue on. Thank you, Jesus. In Jesus Christ, your most holy name, my friend. Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so that's going to wrap it up for this week. Minister Derek Hallett of Sound the Trumpet Ministries, soundthetrumpetministries.com. Guys, don't forsake your prayer closet. Spend time in prayer. Tomorrow is the most wicked satanic day or second most on the satanic ritual abuse calendar. It's called Beltane, okay? So guys, be in prayer. Fast and give your time to Christ, all right? Get into God's word because this is no time to be caught unawares. So I just want to say I love you all. Until next time, have a good night. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.